We all think about what we eat. We plan our meals or count carbs or do any number of other things when it comes to what we put in our bodies. But do you ever think about the flavor of what you consume? Sure you do. What we eat or drink either tastes good or it doesn't. In fact, taste is the number one consideration in what we consume. Yet, there is more to it than just like or dislike. And there's even a whole industry dedicated to it. Flavor is memory. Flavor is feeling. Flavor is science. Flavor is art. Flavor is McCormick Fauna. I'm Corey Doucette, and welcome to our Flavor University podcast, where we explore the science, artistry, and industry behind flavor. We all think about what we eat. We plan our meals or count carbs or do any number of other things when it comes to what we put in our bodies. But do you ever think about the flavor of what you consume? Sure you do. What we eat or drink either tastes good or it doesn't. In fact, taste is the number one consideration in what we consume. Yet, there's more to it than just like or dislike. And there's even a whole industry dedicated to it. Flavor is memory. Flavor is feeling. Flavor is science. Flavor is art. Flavor is McCormick Fauna. I'm Corey Doucette, and welcome to our Flavor University podcast, where we explore the science, artistry, and industry behind flavor. Dynamic duos take two things combined and come out better for it, like peanut butter and chocolate, Batman and Robin, gin and tonic, or working out in pizza. You'll have to trust me on that last one. Things that once stood alone find it infinitely better to work together. On today's podcast, we discuss merging flavor forecast and flavor radar and how, by their powers combined, we are able to create amazing flavors while trying to predict what is new and what is next. We'd like to welcome back to our podcast, Consumer Insights Manager, Pamela Oscarson, and from our new friends over at McCormick, Senior Content and Communications Manager, Veronica Collins. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi, Corey. Hey, Corey. Hey, Pamela. All right. So for those of you who are listening, we are here in lovely Illinois, at least two of us are, and Veronica is over in Maryland. Is that right, Veronica? Oh, yeah. I'm in downtown Baltimore. Ooh, downtown Baltimore. Uh, so... What I'm going to do is how we always start this. We're going to have you guys go ahead and introduce yourself, Veronica, since you're new to the show. You're our guest. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came into the flavor industry and what you do? I would love to. Yeah. So I'm Veronica Collins. Thank you so much for having me this morning. I've been in McCormick for four years. I started on our consumer social media team where I did all things Frank's Red Hot and French's Yellow Mustard. And about two and a half years ago, I had the pleasure of moving over to supporting our flavor solutions business. And with that came the flavor forecast. So since then, I've moved on from hot sauce and mustard to incredible global flavors and being able to immerse with a global team to figure out what's next in flavor. Awesome, awesome. Pamela, why don't you uh, remind us what you do for us here at Phone McCormick or McCormick Phone, if you will? Sure. So I am the Consumer Insights Manager. So my job is to put the consumer lens on all of the different categories that we cover, but I also own Flavor Radar. So mapping those flavors and now joining the Flavor Forecast team. So let's discuss those two things. Can you guys tell me what, first of all, what is Flavor Forecast and what is Flavor Radar? I know we've talked about Flavor Radar before, uh, maybe even touched on Flavor Forecast a little bit, but can you kind of give me an idea as to what those two things are? Sure. So at the end of the day, we'll, we'll talk in simple terms. So it's a way to look at everything in the industry and predict where we think flavor is going. From a Flavor Radar standpoint, we use a lot of data points to plot out what flavor trends are and talk about flavor movement and how things are going. And from a flavor forecast 
standpoint, I'll, I'll do my best here, Veronica, as a newbie. Um, we look at things from a higher level and themes and macro trends and macro drivers, not just using data. It's very holistic and uses many different facets, but also now using flavor radar as the data points to inform and help us make decisions in what we're seeing all around the world. All right, and now that we've got, it's almost like we've acquired a new power, a new skill here. So the two of you are, are now working together. You know, your, your horizons have, have definitely expanded, I would say. Uh, so Veronica, what is it that is now new to this combination between the two of you? What have you guys gained by working together? A lot. And it's really exciting. And I think, Pamela, you've heard me say a couple of times that together we are truly unstoppable. And so the way that I like to describe it is feet on the ground plus the hard data, right? So we're able to have our team at this point, we have 44 members from across the globe, Pamela included. And so those are our feet on the ground of passionate people that are that are constantly on, on the pursuit of what's next in flavor. But then we have that hard data where we're able to go in and look at consumer insights and through the flavor radar, really map out what feels a little bit more up and coming and then what feels a little bit further out. Now, is there a method to this madness? Is there a methodology behind this flavor map that you're creating? Which, by the way, I got to say, like saying flavor map out loud, like I just think of the world and like it's sectioned off into areas of like the flavor is big here. The, this flavor is big there. Is, is that what it's like? Or is it, you know, what's the method to the madness here? Yeah, so I can take it, especially from, I think that the madness starts from a holistic view of what our flavor forecast, flavor radar process is. And so that really starts with a discovery phase where we kick off with all of our team members from around the globe and we come together and we essentially brain dump, you know, what are we seeing? And then we begin to cross compare with Pamela and the flavor radar tools to figure out what's the data behind those flavors that we're seeing with our eyes and tasting within each of our regions. Now, you said that we're working with people on a global scale here. And Pamela, please correct me if I'm wrong. Is this something new for us here at Fauna McCormick now? Yeah, so traditionally, I looked at Flavor Radar from a global scale using data only. We didn't have feed on the ground in places like China or Australia. Actually, they're tasting products and seeing what's new on the shelf. So it definitely adds a whole new layer and dimension to how incredible the data is now. It's, it's richer, it's better, it, it's so many different levels. and Very exciting. And so that's probably added, I mean, just levels of data that you, like you said, like you've never had before. What's it like to have, I mean, basically you, you've opened so many doors. What's it like to have all that data now? Are you able to do more complicated research? Are you able to produce something new because of this? Absolutely. I think just expanding the depth and breadth of flavor trends, not only from a data standpoint, but from a, a verbiage point. We now have new colleagues around the world that we can ask questions to. What does that taste like, right? We may not have access to those products or things on the menu that they're tasting, and then we can transform them into something that could be usable and that our consumers or even our customers here in the U.S. or even in Canada or anywhere could be interested in. And now that we do have these new friends across the globe, how are we using them to process for flavor forecast? How are we processing the flavor forecast differently, perhaps? Yeah. So would it be helpful to kind of dig through what our overall flavor forecast process is, like from start to finish? Yeah, start from, start from the top, go to the bottom. So I will start by saying that the flavor forecast started in the year 2000. So we're in our 22nd year of forecasting. And we started as an American 
report that really looked at spices and herbs. And over the past 22 years, we've been able to expand our, our global footprint, expand the team's reach, and also the levers and the tools that we have in our toolbox to really immerse ourselves. And, you know, when the flavor forecast came on my plate about two years ago is right when the pandemic hit. And we had to figure out how do we have this discovery process in a fully virtual world? Prior to the pandemic, we used to have these incredible global summits where the entire team would come in to one city and it would be an immersive experience for a couple of days where we would go out and we'd go on a regional food safari and be able to taste and try new things in different restaurants. But with global travel being hindered, that was off the table. And so we really utilized Zoom. You know, we got really good at that really fast. And we created a couple of new different levers to pull is what I keep calling them. Um, and like I said at the beginning, you know, we start our process by brain dumping. So our entire team comes in and now Pamela included where she's able to bring in different flavor radar data points. We're able to bring in what is Ricardo tasting in Mexico? What am I tasting in Baltimore? What is Ian tasting in the UK or seeing on menus or new things on shelf? And then once we have that brain dump, we essentially synthesize it and, and look for the consistencies across regions. And what comes out of that are dig sites. And we use those dig sites as a North Star for the rest of our discovery phase. And so this is where we're able to challenge our consumer insights team to dig further and see, you know, what, what are consumers looking for? What is the data that we have behind there? You know, we begin to engage people outside of the McCormick phone of four walls. We want to hear what are other experts in the industry tasting, seeing, and, and feel is up and coming in flavor. We also challenge our team of culinary chefs around the globe to develop new recipes throughout the discovery phase. And we actually demo those virtually. So that way people can taste and try on the team at the same time while global travel is still out of thing. And then the last component here before we kind of wrap up the discovery phase are these regional food safaris. And so this is something that I'm really excited about this year is that a couple of us from Baltimore are going to be able to come out to Chicago and do a food safari with Pamela and some of the FONA team members. And then from this whole collective experience, we bring it all back together and we're able to identify, okay, what are those massive moving consistencies that we're seeing across the world and what's going to feel flavor forecast worthy? And then that's essentially what we bring forward as the latest report. You guys sound like flavor paleontologists with dig sites and, and it's almost like you're taking the bones of flavor, bringing them to the museum like Indiana Jones and reassembling them for everybody to try. I, I know we always kind of talk about, you know, the pandemic and how we've been separated uh, and how we've had to work around that with Zoom calls and, and Teams calls and things like that. Um, I want to kind of break that down a little bit uh, as far as how that works for you guys. Because I know a friend of mine just graduated from the culinary culinary school, I should say. And he had to cook things at home and somehow submit those to somebody, you know, across just the continent. You guys are doing the same thing, but across the globe. I mean, do you guys get together like like we're doing right now on a, on a meeting and kind of just do like a taste party, like a sensory party? Is that how that works? Yeah, exactly. As a newbie to it this year, it was exciting because we received the list of ingredients we needed from the store, the recipe, and we had everything kind of prepped and ready. And then we would join on, on the Zoom call and then we would prepare the meals alongside the chefs so that we were doing everything. You had questions, you could ask questions, everyone's tasting at the same time. So very exciting to be tasting, whether it's 6 a.m. in Chicago and midnight, right, in Australia. It's like much, much later. So everyone's doing everything at all different time zones, all different times, but all together, kind of coming together to taste great things. Now, now with this new kind of way of doing things, did uh, Veronica, did you find this more 
conducive for your job or was this, you know, just a, a means to an end? I will say that I think what I didn't have against me or I guess a, a silver lining here is that I didn't know any better. I wasn't on the flavor forecast team prior to the pandemic. And so we said, how can we make this work? There was a moment we were like, can we make it work? And with how passionate our team is, that was a split second question. We left it there and we figured out how to make it work. And I will note that I have never met a team as passionate about flavor in my entire life. You know, I think Pamela, you can attest to this. Even though there's over 40 of us on a Zoom call, all of us come off mute at least once every single workshop, which I think is incredible. You, you might sit on some calls, no one goes on camera, no one speaks up, multitasking, whatever. We have an incredible global team that wants to engage and wants to be part of the process, which is just, it's just incredible. And it's an amazing learning experience, I think, because everyone comes with different levels of experience, different levels in the flavor industry, food industry. So it's so fun to come together and you learn something on every call that you join. So that's exciting too. It almost sounded like you guys were doing like HelloFresh, but with a trained chef. I mean, you got your ingredients shipped to you, you're cooking, you're asking questions as they're going through. I mean, just that sounds outstanding to me. I mean, how many other companies do you know that would do something like this? You know, and you do it for your job, which is awesome. But my question actually revolves around the fact that you've got all these ingredients, you know, you did all this cooking. Do you remember a favorite meal or, or food that you made while you were there or while you were doing this? I think for me, it was the unexpected, like the, the deep fried shrimp shells. Like for me, like didn't even think that that was possible. And to talk about transparency and using the entire ingredients, so not just the actual meat of the shrimp, but the shell as well. And talking about how it's eco-friendly, right? You're not wasting the shells, you're using everything and the taste, I think. For me, that was the unexpected and um, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I would have to agree with you, Pamela, from this discovery phase and this discovery process. My favorite demo that we had was the unexpected ice cream sandwich. And this complex layered experience that I would have never understood. So, like, I, I'm, I'm not a chef. I'm not a culinary expert. I love it. And part, as being part of this team, I've learned so much. But hearing an actual professional chef speak to you about you're tasting this flavor now and then pop, that's what you're going to have after it. I think that that unexpected ice cream sandwich was definitely my favorite from this year. I mean, I'm looking through some of the things that you, you may have made, you know, a sweet corn rib or what else have we got here? We got carrot locks, you know, just different. Awesome. You know, they sound great to me. Like, absolutely. What were the findings of, of these sessions? What did you guys get out of, out of making these? Yeah. So I think coming out of these processes, before we even, so like we have three themes, um, three trends for this year's report. But what I think is incredible is that what we're able to synthesize is almost like macro drivers because we actually have to look at like what are consumer habits and what what is driving the way that flavor is moving and the way that essentially the flavors that we'll have on our report will be featured. So, you know, we've seen an increased time spent at home and I don't think that that's any any surprise to us over the last two years in the pandemic. But with that, what I think is really special is that we've seen consumers have this newfound appreciation for craft and time. So while maybe four years ago, they were too busy to want to have to make their own food at home, they're looking for quick, easy fixes. Now with more time, they're at home wanting to find new, incredible culinary techniques that you know maybe take a couple of hours that they weren't willing to invest prior to. We are seeing that consumers 
you know, we've seen this boom in TikTok. We've seen a rise over the past almost two decades with social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook. Consumers eat with their eyes, but I think that we're also seeing that consumers are getting savvier. And maybe this is this comes with that appreciation of craft and time, but they're getting savvier to the point where if they go in and they see something that they saw on Instagram, they go into the restaurant and the flavor falls flat, they're going to acknowledge that. So they're realizing that flavor is truly what matters more, not just aesthetics. And then I think the last part is that consumers are really looking to connect with with other people in other cultures around the world now more than ever, especially with the limited travel. And so we're seeing that you know consumers are are connecting through flavor and through cooking and and almost through food stories. And I, I can one hundred percent agree to that. I mean, with this increase in time that we all had, uh, I mean, from regular people like myself, and you know, I'm watching actors who couldn't do anything like, for example, Hugh Jackman. The man is an Oscar winner. He's Wolverine, let's be honest. Um, but I, I'm watching him, and he, this is before he did his stint on Broadway uh, in Music Man. He's making bread. Like, he's literally taking the time to, and I know bread is, can be kind of a long process. I mean, waiting for that dough to rise, knowing how much yeast to put in, baking it off. But he, he was making them, but he was doing it for a good use as well. He was donating uh, the the bread to people and then like donating money to charity for it. I'm, I don't know the particulars, but you know, I watched it. And of course, what did I watch it on? Exactly what you mentioned, TikTok. I mean, the last three of my four recipes were from TikTok. And yes, exactly as you said, I was taking time to do things that normally I would just be like, does it go in an Instapot? Because if it doesn't, I'm not using it. <laughs> but that, I mean, makes a hundred percent sense to me, but I'm getting this feeling that, you know, time, you mentioned time as an ingredient. Like, and we're not talking T-Y-M-E, we're talking T-I-M-E. Time. Yeah, is that, that's new. Is that new? Time yeah. being ingredient in flavor? Yeah, so the first of our three themes for this year's flavor forecast is time as a luxury ingredient. And this is actually a theme that we, we came to pretty close to the end of the discovery phase. A lot of the discovery phase, we were looking at things like upcycled. Sustainability is something I think at our core we look at. We were looking at upcycling. And, you know, Chef Urian, who's one of our chefs from Canada, actually brought to the table during our immersive workshop towards the end of our discovery phase. And he brought up, he said, we're looking at all of these incredible cooking techniques. And he said, the, the consistency between all of them is time. And he said, I think that now more than ever, we are seeing consumers appreciating that time. And whether that's looking for things that are going to be a shortcut or things that take more time in order to develop those complex layered eating experiences... One of the things that, and then another chef from Canada, our chef David said, our time is the luxury ingredient. Whether it's being invested or it's being saved, it's being savored. And I just think that 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 tells the story perfectly is that we are seeing consumers actively looking for these layered eating experiences that that are either going to be something quick or it's going to be technique that they're willing to invest their time to learn in. Now, you mentioned layered ingredients. Now, when you talk about that, I mean... Are we layering new flavors together, like taking a base flavor and putting something with it that may not have been there before? And if so, what's what's that like? I definitely think that that's a part of it. But when for this theme, when we talk about layered eating experiences, we're actually looking at this idea of slowing down time. And so this is where we have we, we look at deep, rich, layered, and complex flavors that can only be achieved through time and attention. So this might be something like dry aging, curing, brining, or braising. So I'm familiar with brining. 
I think I'm familiar with braising. Now, are we taking these verbs essentially and making them into flavors? Yeah. So I think with our flavor business, that's exactly where we would take it. And something, I don't know, Pamela, if you want to speak to this, but one of the flavor radar data points that we pulled through here is super compelling. We're 75, we've seen a 75% increase globally in braised flavored food and beverages within the last five years. And I just think that is so compelling within this entire story that it's not just about consumers are willing to take the time to learn how to braise. They're looking for that flavor. And that's something that we can provide. And that's an increase in new products around the globe. So it's not on the menu. It's actually products that have braised in the product description. So it's something a consumer can go to their local grocery store and they can buy. They can seek out because they understand the process and they understand how the flavor of braising and those techniques can be combined at the end of the day for something that tastes great. I mean, in my head, I'm thinking Harry Potter here. I'm hearing professors, you know, uh, I forget which one it was, but oh no, it was, it was Snape. Like you could bottle luck or put a stopper in death. It sounds like you guys are, you know, taking these things that we do and providing them in a jar or in a bottle. And that's fantastic. It's fantasy. It almost seems like fantasy. So think, think about um, like when you bake a cake you're on your own and that fresh, delicious, warm flavor that you get right out of the oven. So things like that, like our baked spice cake flavor. So it's, it's, it goes along with that idea. I love the Harry Potter analogy. <laughs> what can I say? It's, uh, that's, that's my thing. If you'd see my office, you'd be, you'd be like, oh, that makes sense. It's a lot of sense. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, incredible on, on that front. So I guess, you know, where other people are like, oh, I've got all this time and, you know, I, I don't know what to do with it. You guys were busy. I mean, did you ever stop? Were you, were you guys just going, you know, 100% of the time during the pandemic? Did anything change for you in your workload? I think at the beginning of the pandemic, probably like most people around the globe, things halted for a little bit. We did put a couple of things with the flavor forecast on pause. But as soon as we turned it back on, it is just a constant process. And, and I'll go back to that point that we made earlier, just how passionate that our team is. So while some people might have to slow down and, and allocate resources towards other things, we're able to constantly keep that pulse going because that passion is just constantly going. As well as like when you're a member of the flavor forecast team, and correct me if I'm wrong, all of the members have other jobs as well, right? This is almost like it's a, a team that you belong to. And like my primary role is surveys. So like I'm still doing my survey job, but also doing the flavor forecast, flavor radar, wearing that hat because they just meld together. So the people that are on the team are on the team for a reason because they bring that knowledge that adds value to the flavor forecast. Now I'm going to kind of bring this back a little bit to what we were discussing earlier about flavor stories. We kind of touched on that really quickly. I love the thought of flavor stories, food stories. I like flavor and food that tell me something. You know, I like how it shares experience. I love how it brings things together. You know, and and I'm seeing here as I'm looking through, you know, one of the presentations, you know, about food stories and just, I want to know how are, how are we using these stories to communicate about or communicate how we use flavor? I think what food stories does, and this will be the first year that we highlight food stories. It'll be something that we look to leverage year over year as a way to almost humanize the report. And I think it goes back to one of those macro themes that I, that I was speaking to earlier about how consumers are looking to connect with other people around the globe more than ever. They're looking to understand other cultures. 
And by bringing forward not just a flavor, but then also the person or the story behind it, it creates that extra layer of connection for our consumers and for our customers. Absolutely. And we've talked about food stories in many different ways, but in terms of like that, it definitely is a personal connection because everyone has their favorite grandma's recipe, right? Where this takes it one step further because you're able to connect it to something that you may not have tried before, right? So you're expanding your palate, but connecting it to an actual person, to an actual chef takes it one level further because it creates that level of familiarity and safe, right? It's, it's safe because sometimes trying something you've never tried before can be scary. So I think it, kind of melts in the middle and, and makes you feel good, which is what you want at the end of the day. And ultimately, even in this podcast, that's what we're doing. We're telling flavor stories to people who normally wouldn't be hearing these, you know, maybe anywhere else. When I'm talking about, for example, when I'm with a group of friends, and I'm sure I'm going to ask you guys to tell me a story in a minute, but when I'm with a group of friends and I'm making my frosting for a cake, I'm telling you the story of my father in culinary school who volunteered to taste the lead chef's frosting. And when he put out his finger, the lead chef put the pastry bag in my father's mouth and squeezed it all the way down, you know, just exploding all over him in the middle of class, you know, and I love that story because not only does it kind of put my father in this comedic light, but it also kind of tells you who I am, why I have the sense of humor I have, because he took a joke like that. I definitely love jokes like that, but Do you guys have any flavor stories that you like to tell? So I have a very special family recipe that came from my grandmother, Allie McCabe, and it's called pineapple stuffing. And it's essentially a sweet, savory stuffing. And I don't even know if it actually is considered stuffing because there's some bread in it, but it's not actually like, it's not like a Thanksgiving stuffing. And this is something that growing up, we would have at almost every single holiday. And my mom is one of 14. So we have a very large family, almost 30 cousins, and a fair majority of them have featured the pineapple stuffing at each of their weddings. So it's a very humble recipe, not a ton of ingredients, very easy to make. You think if you have 14 children, you know you don't want recipes that are super complicated and you want something that everyone's going to love. And so it's just, it's a very memorable recipe for my family growing up. And it's just pretty incredible that it's something that my family has featured in, in several of the weddings. So cool. I, I love food stories. I mean, I listen to podcasts that, you know, people talk about their family recipes and it just, it blows my mind. I, I love that. So we've talked about two of our, our main buckets. We've talked about time and we've talked about food stories. Can you guys tell me what the third one is and, and what that represents for us? I would love to. So our, our final theme here is called Plus Sweet. And before we even dig into it, I will mention that very similar to time as a luxury ingredient where it evolved towards the end, plus sweet was not always called plus sweet. At the very beginning, it was called slavery. And that, that word turned a lot of people off. A lot of people, it made, it was, is uncomfortable. I was obsessed with it because we were seeing things. Um, I, I remember specifically going to Philadelphia on our immersion and we tried this chocolate millet muffin. I'm gluten-free. It was gluten-free and you took a bite of it. And it was just, the sweet was not the first thing that you got. And that's what I found so inspiring behind it. And we were seeing this, this idea of slavery all over the world, but we were seeing more than just that. And that's where Plus Sweet evolved to, is really looking at how consumers are no longer looking for that over-the-top sweet profile, like let's say really sugary 
cereal that I might have grown up on that I love. You know, it's nostalgic and I still want to eat it sometimes, but we're almost looking for a more mature sweet. And that's where this theme has kind of come out of. So we're looking at maybe it's like smoky, spicy and sweet or salty, nutty, floral and sweet. So we're looking at really complex sweet flavors. And an analogy that I like to use here is it's almost like an ensemble for a movie. So take Hugh Jackman and, and, and X-Men as an example, right? So you can't have the entire X-Men cast without him, but you want to see Storm. You want to see some of those other characters coming to the forefront. And that's almost the story that we're telling here where that sweet and the Wolverine is no longer the number one main character. We have that full ensemble cast of flavors. Thank you for that analogy. I believe that just made my day. And also, swavery is my new favorite word, and I'm here for it. <laughs> I can remember, I'm not a huge fan of, like, pineapple anything, and I'm sorry about your, your recipe. I'm sure it's wonderful. I would definitely try it. <laughs> um, but my wife once gave me pineapple salsa, and she, like, next day, she was like, where's the salsa? I was like, you know, I don't know. Wink. Gone. Just, I, I'm definitely on that train of putting sweet with anything. And that's a great example of unexpected familiarity, right? Where you're like, oh, I don't really like pineapple, but you, she added in other flavors, probably onion or even other things, right? Hot peppers, jalapenos to kind of add that complexity to pair well with the sweet. So it's not completely overwhelming. And obviously you ate it all. So you liked it. I, I mean, it was gone. I, I, I'm pretty sure that I, I may have licked the jar. I'm not confirming that, but that may have happened. Um, <laughs> Do you guys have a favorite combination, a favorite new sweet combination that you've tried recently or just in the past? A hundred percent. So I will name that chocolate millet muffin all day long. It was like earthy, a little savory and sweet. What I loved about it is that the chocolate was not in your face. So again, like sweet wasn't at the forefront. But we also do have a new recipe for this year's forecast called the Spicy Chapman. And this is made by our chef Ricardo down in Mexico. And it's this beautiful orange drink. And it can be made as a mocktail or a cocktail. So as we were, we were going into our tasting, it looks a little bit like an orange soda. And so that's the taste that you're expecting. And that's the first taste that you get. It's this sweet, delightful orange soda. But then we have cayenne pepper in it. So it brings in this layered experience where you get that refreshing, nostalgic orange soda taste, but then you have that kick of cayenne. It's not over the top because we do have that balanced flavor profile here, but I would say that that spicy, sour, sweet is something that I'm now craving because of that spicy Chapman drink. I mean, it sounds a lot like my personality, sweet and spicy, but you know, I mean, I'm here for that too. I love orange soda. That sounds great. I'd like to give that a shot. I'm, I'm looking through my my forms here. I don't see any recipes. I'm seeing these beautiful, beautiful pictures, but I am not seeing the recipe on how to make this. So uh, Veronica, if you could hook me up with that, I appreciate it. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. And that millet muffin, you've sold it so much now. I'm, you know, I'll take that too, but incredible. Absolutely incredible. So let's go back to you, Pamela. Do you have some combination of sweet that you like now? It's not necessarily a favorite combination. I think it's Adding floral to sweet is something that usually gets a bad rap, right? You think lavender and soap and things like that. I think we have taken floral and pairing it with plus sweet to make it an amazing combination. So things like hibiscus flower and adding those together with plus sweet flavors, I think is creating a whole new dimension that consumers are going to be extremely pleasantly surprised. I think you think your grandma's lavender bath soaps, I, I think it's, it's no longer. I think florals is one category in 
one flavor family, I think we're going to see expand. And we uh, shout out to the podcast. One of our earlier ones, we did a kombucha taste test here and we had several floral flavors going on. I mean, I was drinking daisies and I was like, this is ridiculous. Why does this taste, you know, A, it's kombucha, but B, it tastes really good with flowers in it. So, I mean, I see right where you're going with that. Um, all right. So we've had a great discussion about our, you know, flavor radar, flavor forecast. Can you guys talk to me about what's next? Like what's on the horizon? Let's, let's go down that road a little bit. We have a unique launch timeline this year because I will say, I know you asked a little bit earlier, did anything get paused or moved because of the pandemic? And I, I didn't mention that we did push our launch timeline a little bit due to the pandemic. And so for the past two years, we've launched in the April timeframe, which is when you can expect the 22nd edition to come out. But you know, we know that more that December, January timeframe is a little bit more intuitive for our customers. And so you know, we are getting back on that timeline and the 23rd edition will be coming out this December. So that's that's what's next. Come on, how about from your neck of the woods? You got, do you know of anything on the horizon that's we should look out for? Sure. So um, launching officially April twenty sixth, right? Is yep. that when we'll, we're sharing the full flavor forecasts with the rest of the world? So everyone, check your emails, check flavorforecasts dot com, um, get to see all of the fun the details behind it. I mean, if you guys are going to start announcing flavors of like spicy orange and corn ribs and whatnot, I mean. I got to read that thing cover to cover. That's just how that is. Okay, so we're at that point of the podcast where we're going to ask you guys about your takeaways. So, Pamela, if you can give me maybe two examples, uh, two examples of takeaways that I, we can give to our listeners. Yeah, sure. So I'll start with your dynamic duos. I think the the pairing of flavor radar and flavor forecast. I think it's an amazing thing. So whether you're a customer on the McCormick side or a customer on the Fona side, bringing it together is something that is amazing. I was getting teary-eyed in your your description because I live in Bleed, Breathe, 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 like it's my baby and it's Veronica's baby on the flavor forecast side. So better together is one, one takeaway. I think for me, um, don't be afraid afraid to try something that's different, right? Expand that palette, pair it with something familiar, um, and you might be pleasantly surprised. So same thing for you, Veronica. We've gotten our two from Pamela. Do you have maybe two or more for us that we can do a takeaway for our listeners for? For sure. I think for me, the biggest one coming out of this year's report is embrace the unexpected, right? Whether it is using time and new adventurous ways that you never thought you would appreciate or adding something like cayenne to orange, embrace the unexpected and look forward to those new eating experiences. My takeaway from this podcast is swavery. <laughs> taking that with me, but thank you both. All right. So that's it for McCormick Fona's Flavor University podcast. I'm Corey Doucette, and I'd like to thank our special guests, Veronica Collins, of course, and Pamela Oscarson. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, the flavor of McCormick Fona is the flavor of life. So go out and taste it. <laughs>